Hello again, everybody. Welcome once again to another episode of the Tigers Baseball Podcast, episode 38, recorded on Sunday, July 4th, 2021. Um, it's 11.58 at time of the beginning of the recording, so that's when the whole thing was done. At least that's when the whole thing was recorded or whatever. Anyway, <clears throat> with all that being said, congratulations are in order for the Mississippi State Bulldogs. College World Series champions, the first ever championship for that school in any sport. This includes track and field, it includes football, it includes basketball, it includes lacrosse, gymnastics, golf, any sport that they were involved in. This is the first time they've won a national title in anything. So congratulations, and they did it in fine fashion, uh, losing game one of the best of three final uh, eight to two to Vanderbilt, the defending champions from 2019. Of course, everybody knows there was no 2020 College World Series, so um, that was a part of it. Uh, and then outscoring Vanderbilt in the next two games, 22 to two, so 13 to two on Tuesday, and in the final deciding game. 9 nothing on Wednesday. And this is a team, the Vanderbilt Commodores, who had Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter, son of Al Leiter, uh, two-time All-Star Major Leaguer, uh, pitched with the Yankees for a while. Uh, I believe pitched with the Blue Jays as well. Um, but anyway, the point is, is that these guys, Vanderbilt, look, they're the Duke of men's of college baseball and Mississippi state came in and beat them two out of three and beat them pretty hardcore too. So, um, carried a no hitter into the eighth inning as far as I could, if, as if I recall correctly, um, on Wednesday. So congratulations to them. Congratulations also to Gregory Soto, the Tigers all-star selection the third straight year that the Tigers have sent a reliever to the All-Star game. That's probably because the starting pitching wasn't that good the first, the other two years. Um, and I, I, I kind of have a beef with this. <sighs> Look, Soto has the second most wins on the team. He's behind Tarek Skubal and Casey Mize, who are tied with the team lead in wins. He's only got a 2.94 ERA, and he saved six games. But he's not the closer, and so they think that the, you know, the, the speculation is that that's why he got the nod for the All-Star squad is because he's not a closer, and people like Aroldis Chapman and Liam Hendricks and, you know, other more defined closers, I guess, for lack of a better term are um, in that closer's role, uh, selected as a closer, voted in voted in as a closer. Um, and so he's basically, look, we had to have a guy, so we'll, get, we'll, we'll, we'll bring in Soto. I personally feel like Jonathan Scope should be the Tigers' all-star representative. I mean, the guy's got 16 home runs, including a 440-foot bomb that he hit yesterday to dead center field. Um against the White Sox in Detroit's 11-5 to win over the White Sox. I just feel like he's a better candidate. He's a better a better choice for the All-Star game. But 
you know, this is this is the manager's decision, and Kevin Cash thought, you know what, let's get Soto in here. And in all honesty, what, what would you do with, with Scope? I mean, yeah, he's played second this year, and he's played first. And he's DH'd, but the game is in a National League city, so the pitchers have to hit. But I mean, right there. All right, it's the it's the sixth inning, and you're at Coors Field, and you're down three to one with two men on and and one man out, and it's your pitching spot is due up. Do you want your pitcher to bat, or would you rather call on Jonathan Scope to come off the bench and pinch hit for your pitcher so you can replace him with somebody else? with his 16 home runs and his his 270 batting average in the regular season and you're at Coors Field. Um but hey, I I you know I don't know the com- complete makeup of the team, so as far as it goes, you know, there was there were reasons for why Kevin Cash did what Kevin Cash did. And you know what? Kevin Cash has gone to the World Series. I haven't. So, you know, granted he left he took Blake Snell out way too early. He should have left him in. But that's a whole different story. Um, Tigers looked good this week. They took two out of three from Cleveland and two out of three from Chicago, those being the last two in each series, both of those being after an absolute stinker of a loss, 13-5 uh, to five to Cleveland and 8-2 to two to the White Sox. Now, the White Sox game was a little closer than... than than the score indicated it was it was yeah it was four to two I know it was three to two uh for quite a while but they didn't score those five runs until the top of the ninth and and so that's to me that shows that the Tigers really battled uh in that first game and then of course the next two games uh 11 to 11 uh 11 to 5 and 6 to 5 so all told, the Tigers gave up 18 runs to the White Sox this weekend, and they scored 20 runs and so or 19 runs. So they outscored them 19 to 18. So they guess what? They took one run off of that run differential that's in the negative. So <laughs> you know, take the positives where you can find them, everybody. Tigers are four, 38 and 46 going into the halfway point of the season. It's a little more than halfway through. Um, they basically have one game that they need to make up uh, to the Twins. That'll be as a doubleheader after the All-Star break. It's kind of a weird schedule. So the next two weeks, let me go ahead and just get into it. Uh, it's kind of a weird schedule because they've got a seven-game road trip in which they go to Texas tomorrow, Tuesday and Wednesday, and then Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. They're in Minnesota. Then the All-Star break. So they're off for four days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. My wife loves this time of year because there is no baseball on whatsoever for four days. She can't wait. Um, And then Friday the 16th, they come back and play a split doubleheader against the Twins. And then they got Saturday and Sunday against the Twins. So eight of their next 11 games are against the Twins. It's just it's 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 just an odd way to do the schedule. But hey, what are you gonna do? Um 
I know they didn't anticipate it. It was originally supposed to only be seven games against the Minnesota Twins, seven out of their next ten, but there was a rainout in May. No, early June. No, it was May. There was a rainout in May, um, and the Tigers are are making it up with this with this game um, on the sixteenth. Now, all of that being said. Let's see what level of comp- let's see what level Detroit raises their uh, what level of intensity Detroit brings to the field over these next eleven games. Minnesota is a team that is that the Tigers are trailing. Minnesota is actually behind the Tigers. The Tigers are in fourth place in the division. The Twins are in fifth. Tigers have a better record than the Twins do. The Twins have a better run differential, but you know what? That doesn't really matter at this point. <clears throat> Texas is a team that's below 500. They're not playing very good baseball. They're playing better at home than they are on the road. 20 and 21 at 20 and 21 at home. So it kind of makes you wonder what's going to be the outcome of these series because you want to know how much uh, how competitive Detroit's going to be. What their level of intensity is going to be. I wonder if Detroit is going to be a team this year that plays to its level of competition. So they they played well over a 12-game span against the Cardinals, the Astros, the Cleveland Ball Club, and the White Sox. Over this next 11 games, are they going to play so-so because the teams that they're playing are... Both teams are below 500, and both teams aren't playing very good baseball. On top of that, then you got Texas coming back in um, after the All-Star break to play the Tigers. And so we'll see where that goes. We'll see what, what, what the result is of that. But I'll be very interested to see how they play. I want to see what their level of intensity is because if they play to the level of their competition, then these next 11 games are going to suck. They're just going to be garbage games. And... Detroit might win three of eight, three of 11, four of four of 11. You know, this might be a stretch where they go three and eight, four and seven, six and five would be good because it would be above 500. But, you know, it would be, I would prefer because of the fact that, you know, these are teams that Detroit should be beating on a regular basis because they're the bad teams in the league. They're the soft underbelly of the league. Detroit should go seven and four, eight and three, not six and five. I'd love to see him go nine and two or eleven and zero, but you know that's not going to happen. Now, the one thing that does concern me is Detroit's propensity for getting absolutely bombed in the first game of series, and then coming back and performing well for the rest of the series. I point to Cleveland and Houston and Chicago. So Detroit gets beat 8-2 on Friday by Chicago and then comes back and wins 11-5 and 6-5 on Sunday, Saturday and Sunday. Detroit gets beat 13-5 on Monday of last week and then sweeps a doubleheader from Cleveland, 9-4 and 7-1. Okay, that's all right. But the 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 big problem is the the absolute thumping losses that they're taking. You know, they lose uh, 12 to 3 to Houston la- uh, a week ago Thursday and then come back and split a double header losing 3 to 2 and winning th- uh 3 to 1 and then on Sunday they win it 2 to 1 
So they split the series with Houston after getting absolutely lambasted in their first game. I'm kind of concerned because it makes me wonder if it's a matter of these guys get a little overconfident um, after winning a series or after splitting a series, or is it just a matter of they just don't know how to play consistent winning baseball? So what concerns me is if they don't know how to play consistent winning baseball, who's going to teach them? Because they got a lot of young guys on this squad. I know A.J. Hinch is the manager, and he's done it before. I know Jonathan Scope has has played on some winners. That he played in Milwaukee when they won it or went to the playoffs, again, I believe, again, uh, as I recall, in 2017. But, or maybe it was 2018, but the point is, is that he did he did play on a winning squad. Uh, Miguel Cabrera has certainly been around winning squads because he won it with won the World Series in 2003 with Miami and then went to the World Series with the Tigers uh, in 2012. So he's got some pedigree there. But you kind of have to wonder who's going to lead this team and show them how to win from a player's perspective. So that's something that I'm looking at and that I'm concerned about and um, we'll keep an eye on. Uh, as things progress this season. Detroit has had two straight winning months going into July. They've started July off with two out of three wins. So we'll see where that goes. Um, It's not going to be enough. Look, all you have to do is win one more game than you lose and you have a winning month. So if you've got 17 games in a month and you win nine and you lose eight, then you've had a winning month. The problem is, is if you're eight games under 500 when the month starts, and you lose eight, and you win nine, you're still seven games under 500 for the year. Uh, so I don't, like I said, I don't see Detroit going and 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 throwing together any major winning streaks, and and getting above the 500 mark and finishing the the season in the playoff chase. But I do think Detroit's doing better this year. I think Detroit's going to stay better this year. I think, like I said. 74 and 88, 14 games under 500. Everybody's going to be like, oh, well, they've lost 74 games. They're under 500 again. This is a team that lost, would have, if the regular season had been played out last year, were on pace to lose 100 games last year. They lost 100 games in 2019. They lost 98 games in 2018. So this is an improvement, folks. This team is getting better. It's getting better slowly. But it is getting better. You watch next year. This team is going to be a lot more improved because they know they're learning how to play the game fundamentally soundly and correctly. And guess what, folks? I think we might have found ourselves a leadoff hitter in Akil Badu, which doesn't bode well for the likes of Daz Cameron and um, um, Kristen Stewart. Derek Hill probably will be up for will be up, but. It's going to be a, it's going to be a tough outfield to crack um, next year, and I really honestly think that Akil Badu might have just earned himself a spot in the majors after this year uh, with the performance that he's put on over the last few weeks. But we'll see. It's a long season. It's only the beginning of July. There's still a good seventy-eight games left in the season, so we'll figure it out um, next year. But it looks really good right now. With all that being said, I want to thank Anchor for distributing the podcast. It's available on Spotify, Apple, Breaker, Pocket Cast, and other fine podcast aggregators. 
If you want to get in touch with the show, you can at Podcast Tigers on Twitter or the world's longest email address, TigersBaseballPodcast at gmail.com. Until next week, when we are into the All-Star break, ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you then. Go Tigers! Go Tigers!